0: Hi, this is Bo Baroski, NCA official and creator of RefQuest. Thanks for listening to the Crown Refs podcast.
1: Serve the game. You are listening to the Crown Refs podcast, the audio experience for basketball official officials. Serve the game. Serve the game. Crown Refs is excited to present you with a 20% discount on all your uniform needs for this upcoming 2019-2020 season. The offer has been provided by RefereeStore.com. Enter coupon code BASKETBALL at checkout. They sell Schmitty gear, they offer free exchanges and free returns, and $5 flat rate shipping. At RefereeStore.com, we know that being a referee is not just a job, it's a lifestyle. That's why we make it easy for you to find the right referee shirts, pants, and accessories for your game. Log on to refereestore.com and enter basketball at checkout to get your 20% discount today. Crown Refs and the refereestore.com serving the game. We have the pleasure to introduce a 2019 NCAA Final Four official and also the creator of RefQuest, a tremendous educational platform for basketball officials. Ladies and gentlemen, I, w- I would like to welcome to the Crown Rest podcast, Bo Barofsky. Bo, thanks for coming on.
0: Paul, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to
1: this and i uh, glad to be a part of today's podcast. Great having you. Bo, I know you worked 93 games this past season. You enjoying your summer?
0: Yes, I am. Anytime uh, <laughs> the offseason comes, I I, uh, I enjoy it. I'll tell you this, I tell people that I always look forward to the uh, start of the season, but I really look forward to the end. And now that I have uh, young kids and a wife that wants me home more than she did before we had kids, I uh, uh, I really enjoy my off seasons for sure.
1: Makes that, that, that time so much more special. No doubt. So before we discuss RefQuest, and I am eager to dissect some of the steps that it took you to build this incredible space, But first, if you could just take us back to your last game of the season, which was the national semifinal game. Texas Tech edged out Michigan State 61 to 51. Could you just take a moment to reflect on your experience in being part of history and working a Final Four game?
0: Well, I like the way you put it, uh, Paul, being a a part of history. It makes it feel bigger than it it really was. I'll tell you this, I got the phone call on Monday afternoon about 3 o'clock, and I was told by several other officials that, you know, the phone call comes between 2 and 3 p.m., and it got to be about 2.57. And uh, mm. I just said, okay, well, uh, the message has been sent. And then, of course, the phone rang. And the it, what was amazing to me, looking back on it, from the time that phone rang, to when I flew back to Indianapolis from Minneapolis went by so quickly uh an absolute blur and um specifically I can say that um it was surreal it it was one of those situations where you want the phone call to come and for years and years and years it never comes it never comes and then when it does come it's it, it was such uh, it was such an amazing and euphoric feeling for myself, but for my wife too, who who has been through the ups and downs and everything associated with travel and um, the things that we do throughout the course of a season. Um, getting there the day before, uh, enjoying the sights. You know, we walked around. We took part uh, in some of the festivities. We had a great officiating dinner. Um, we had a, a a local official, Eric Curry, who took care of us, who knew, knew the lay of the land, VIPs, the NCAA treats us great. Um, the hotel was beautiful, the police escorts, and it's just first class. And then there's the game. You know, the game was incredible for me. I had never been in that venue before. So they, they keep you under lock and key, really, um, they want to know where you are at all times when you get to the venue. And I was able to get uh, my security uh, to kind of walk out with me while the first game was going on. And uh, I just told him, I said, look, I I want to see this place. I don't want to, the first time that I you know, see this building uh, to be 20 minutes before I referee. So he took me out and we kind of hid in the uh, alleys a little bit. And I took a quick video just to see, uh you know or just to you know kind of share that 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 piece of that that first look and uh, it was awesome and then we walk out of course it's up you know, the, the the courts on a pedestal and um once that ball went up it did have the sense and the feel of any other game and uh you've heard it you've heard people talk about it um but uh, i i will tell you that that's accurate once that ball goes up it's just another basketball game so uh it was i look back on it it's almost like it never happened because it went by right. so
1: fast must have felt really good coming off the court how would you guys feel
0: we felt great um it was i think michigan state was down 3 with about a minute and a half to go and i remember a kid for Michigan State had a shot to tie it, and I remember that ball being in the air and going, listen, if this ball goes, it's uh, this is coming right down to the last second, and it uh, hit off the rim. Texas Tech got the rebound. They went down and scored. Michigan State starts fouling on purpose, and, and the game broke late and ended up, give or take, about 10 points. But it when we walked off that court, there was high fives and hugs and uh you know cuz people are just waiting um <laughs> for something to go sideways or at least to take advantage um of a of an interesting situation that uh occurs in a game to try and take a uh, a negative put a negative light on something that would happen well we felt like we didn't give them that chance we felt great about it
1: well like you said people are waiting to highlight those mistakes so must have been real satisfying knowing they didn't have that opportunity. Hey, just like the player's motto, survive and advance, right?
0: Yeah, you want to survive the day. I mean, that's just part of it. And uh, it's the, the game that occurred before us um, ended with officiating in the focus. And um, initially it was on the call that James Breeding made from lead that was 100% Great call. It was accurate. It had to be called and he called it. And, you know, we were waiting in the locker room uh, with open arms for him. And, um, but you could tell that he had a sense of the magnitude of the situation. He was almost ghostly when he walked in to the locker room and we confirmed to him, uh, not that we had the final sign off, but we confirmed to him how right that call was. And, um, I think that that helped him in that moment. Um, and then, of course, they they pick apart other plays in, in that first game, and and it creates a speaking point for them. So, But we were able to avoid
1: that, and uh, we felt great about uh, walking off the court. That's great. Congratulations again. That must have been a truly amazing experience. Can we just rewind your story, talk about how you got your start? What was your first year as a college basketball official?
0: My first year as an official – In small college um, was um, – I'm turning back the clock here, Paul. Uh, My first season officiated was the 99-2000 season uh, here in the state of Indiana um, in the mid-central league that's now the Crossroads League. So I look back 20 years. I am now the supervisor of that league, and that 20 years later – that's been a surreal experience too because some of the same coaches are still there, but it's been 20 years.
1: And how long was it until you worked your first NCAA tournament game?
0: I was very fortunate to, um, that my supervisor in that league, um, obtained a division one conference. So I got a division one opportunity relatively early at 23 years of age. Um, and my first NCA tournament uh, was in 2007. Um, so I just worked my 12th NCA tournament. Um, gosh, it seems like just yesterday I can remember getting uh, on the airplane headed to Anaheim, California and to work Stanford and, and Cornell in the first round. I worked one game, knew I was only working one game, and um, that ended up being tight early and A wide
1: margin late, and I didn't mind that at all. So you said you've worked 12 tournaments. Are there any uh, memorable games or March moments you'd like to share?
0: Well, when I think about the NCAA tournament, the first thing I think of is, of course, the Final Four. Um, But until this year, my most memorable moment was Northern Iowa uh, hit a last-second shot against Texas. It was a three-quarter shot. Right after an inbound, I'm at trail. The kid takes a dribble and just heaves it down two. And from about, give or take, 75 feet, the ball goes right in. It was incredible. It was surreal. But I'm telling you, right when it left his hand, I'm standing right behind him. There's a great picture out there. I'm standing right behind him. And I am telling you that when that ball was out of his hand, six inches, I knew it was in. It was... It was just, I could see the angle of the ball. I can see the angle of his hand. Everything was going right towards that rim. And um, that's probably my most most memorable moment uh, in officiating outside of the Final Four was being a part of Northern Iowa's last second shot over Texas. Were you the
1: official opposite table that got the score?
0: No. I was trail. So if you picture, they got to go 94 feet. I was the inbounding official table side. Um, but, um, the, the scoring official, I believe was Marquise Pettigrew. He was C opposite and he, he, he danced a little bit on him. He flushed it home. It was, it was pretty cool to see. Every now and then I'll go back on and watch that, uh, and watch that shot.
1: The reason why I ask that is because I know we as officials, there's um, certain calls that are maybe more fun to make than others. So I know a buzzer beating walk off is a fun signal to show.
0: Oh, it is. I think there's an expectation when it comes to certain calls throughout a game that there's that 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 don't necessarily need to be sold. But uh, where there's an expectation of some uh, an official showing a little character, Um, that's definitely one of them um you know you get the hard block charge plays with the N1 and, and um i think it's okay for officials to show a little emotion um but the timing of that is is very important
1: you talked about selling a call where do we draw the line mm-hmm. between being emphatic and confident and strong but then not selling a call?
0: Well, I think it's tied to to feel of the game. Um, We just, I run a camp here in Indianapolis, and one of the things we talk about is you sell the call on the spot. We don't need to resell it at the table. And uh, what I mean by that is if we get a difficult play and we do what I say, we dance on them a little bit on the blocking call, there's an expectation that that call needs to be sold when it's so marginal one way or the other that you really need to sell that play. We don't need to sell every play. If we're selling every play, our believability and our credibility goes down and they're not going to believe anything. So, uh, our typical out of bounds plays that clearly hit off a red, we just point and give the ball to white after stopping the clock, of course, and that'll make our national coordinator happy when we stop the clock. But what, what I've seen is people get the message of like, okay, I need to sell some plays and they oversell or they'll do a duplicate sell where they just bang it out at the spot of the foul and then they head to the table and we get in a situation where now the coach that uh, that call went against almost feels like you're showing them up a little bit. So when the crowd's up, our blood pressure needs to go down. And I think in that moment, we can be a part of the action with that block call, the and one call, the wave off with the charge. And then let's get to the table and let's calmly communicate what we have on that play and not get in a resell situation. Uh, but timing is everything. I, I alluded to it uh, in my last response, and I'll allude to it again. Feel for the game is the least talked about, most important thing outside uh, of judgment, outside of communication. You'd have to have that sense, that feel of when to do and not to do something, and selling a play is certainly a part of that.
1: So before we get into RefQuest, could you just talk about your uh, journey as an official and uh, who inspired you to ascend to the top of the industry?
0: I started going to officiating camps in uh, '98. And I, at the time, I was given private baseball lessons uh, to uh, to a kid that was probably 8, 10 years old, and his dad was always there, and I recognized his father uh, as somebody I'd seen before, and I just finally turned to him and I said, you know, sir, I, I know I've seen you before, I don't know if we've met, if I've seen you on TV, and he said, okay, my name's Tim Fogarty, and I referee men's college basketball and if you don't know Tim and for those of the people that don't know Tim he worked a lot of games uh, at the mid-major level um, throughout the country but mainly here in the Midwest and did it for a long time and had a a great successful career and so we were going back and forth and he just said hey are you interested in officiating and I said actually I am I grew up doing it you know with the CYO stuff and Um, the youth leagues and I was doing some soccer uh, when I was a kid. So it had always interested me. And he said, there's a camp coming up in a month down in Evansville, Indiana. It's Eric Harmon's basketball camp. I signed up for it. I went and a couple weeks later, I got hired at 22 years of age to work small college basketball. And from that moment, I was the beneficiary of a couple other people getting some breaks uh, because Eric Harmon was at that time in charge of the mid American conference as the supervisor in charge of the uh, what's now the summit league. That was the mid continent at the time. Um, so I was able to kind of slide right in as, as the resident young guy. And um, I was always put with veteran officials and um after my first season, I think I worked six games, and um, it was just one of those situations where the veteran officials, you know, told Eric like, "Hey, you know, we like this guy. He's got some work to do," which, self-admittedly, um, that was accurate. And um, just with every year, it was one of those things. I got six games, then twelve, and fifteen, and twenty, and worked my. Worked my first conference tournament really early and just started getting some confidence uh, to the point where, you know, the risk was being lowered every year by putting me on games. Because from a supervisor standpoint, you know, <laughs> he's putting himself out there essentially by putting you out there. And um, it, that burden got less and less every year for the supervisor and just has culminated into where we're at today. So I was fortunate early because some other people caught breaks, which helped me catch some breaks, but it just came down to a supervisor looking at me and going, all right, I want to get some less experienced guys involved. And he felt like he could invest in me and, um, thought that my ceiling might be higher than the next guy. And, and, and that's how it all worked out. So it's it's a lot easier to get your foot in the door, you know, than to walk through that door. And um, we all, we talk about at camps all the time how the pyramid gets smaller at the top. And um, I'll just tell you, mo- most guys just, you know, run into situations where they want it. They want to be in the, the middle of that. They want the pressure. And, and some guys can handle it and some guys can't. And – what makes it even more difficult, it's subjective. Uh, what One man's trash is another man's treasure. And that's why when you see supervisor changes, 20 guys get fired and 20 guys get hired. And um, that's just the reality of the situation. And that's certainly a part um, of the subjectivity piece that is officiating. So that, that was the plight, you know, starting out in the Mid-American then going Summit in Mid-American. And then, you know, picking up the Missouri Valley. And and then the consortium model started entering in. Well, now, okay, if you're in this league, you're in all six of these. Then you're in all six of these. And So um, I've just – it's kind of been being in the right place at the right time
1: has, has been just as much of a part of it. There's a lot of officials listening right now that uh, aspire to – one day get to the level that you're on. Do you have any advice or tips that you can share with the audience?
0: Yeah, this is the most difficult part. And as we have this conversation, I've just got done, uh, gotten done communicating with referees that will no longer be on my small college officiating staff next year. And I've been on the phone with the guys where I've made their day and I've added them to the staff. So, I understand the emotion involved on both sides. It comes down to this, and I can't put it any more clear. And this, it hurts sometimes because you have to be blunt, you have to be straightforward, but you must be honest. Is I tell people, my job, as outlined by the commissioner, is to find the best officials available. And my default line when I, get lost or I don't have the appropriate response or the response the official wants to hear is I say, I, I, I simply have other guys I think that are better than you. And it's hard to say it comes across the wrong way to certain people. But at the end of the day, I have to put the best officiating product out there. And my staff is relatively small with only about 60 guys. And we rotate that lower 10% uh, every year. And it's all – I'm also in tune with the fact that the guy that gets 10 games wants 15, and the guy that gets 18 games wants 25. And so I try to impress upon them not to set themselves up for failure and to be the best at where they are. And that's a lot easier said than done because – there are so many people that, and I listen, I referee with these guys at a high level and they'll work a first and second round NCAA tournament assignment. And their season is a failure. if They don't advance to the regionals. And if they go to the regionals and work a sweet 16 or an elite eight game, and they don't go to the final four, they look at their season as a failure. And I just think that is a huge mistake. And, uh, what, once every 10 years, 20 years, you're going to look at it as a successful season and maybe never. I mean, I have several guys that I referee with and haven't worked the final four that are absolutely deserving of it. And I can tell you that they don't look at their careers as a failure because they haven't worked the final four yet. Um, so what I would just tell people is hard work guarantees, Nothing but without it, you got no shot. I would also implore them to demand and ask for honest feedback from decision makers. Uh, one of the things we do in our camp is we give them the ratings. So we tell them exactly what everybody rated them conditioning one to five. You're a one, you gotta get yourself in shape. you got to work on your physique. You have to get yourself in the best position available. You have to win the perception battle. You get an F in all those, and we tell them that. Your judgment's a two. That's the single most important thing we do, is determine what's a foul and what isn't. Incidental contact versus illegal contact. Can you identify the difference between the two and enforce it consistently for two hours every day, an entire season, and every year, and over your whole career? We also rate them on communication. So what we get now with the less experienced official, the younger official, is we get an official that's in shape. We get an official that knows the rules, but we don't get an official that knows how to communicate. And by and large, that's the biggest problem we're having right now with some of our new officials. And my job as a supervisor is to try and seek out those people that are great communicators. Now Paul, you and I talked offline um, about how we just hosted a big social event here in Indianapolis for the for one of the uh, Division one consortiums and I cannot overstate how great it was to meet ten or twelve new guys that I've seen I've seen their name, I've seen their face but I've never had a conversation with and to get to know some of these guys over the course of three days was incredible. It establishes Uh, lines of communication that were non-existent before. The problem on the inverse is that people think if I don't have any issues, if I don't have any problems, then I did great. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's so difficult to differentiate between a referee that's an A plus and a referee that's a B plus. But one of the ways you can do that is human interaction. And some of the guys that are less experienced that are having great success in this business are awesome communicators. So that's the biggest thing I would impress upon them is ask, uh, you know, for, for um, honest feedback, um, open the lines of communication with the people that make decisions uh, and also be the best at where you are. And I know that's, So passe to talk about, but um, I've got a couple, three guys. I want to take a risk on, but they're struggling at the level they're at. And I want to see some, some uh, success there before I take a risk on them at the college level. So if you stick with it, you know, that in this business, the cream does rise to the top, um, but there's no guarantees that it will. So um, we did an interesting poll I'll tell you this we had 106 referees come to my camp this year. And one of the one of the survey questions we sent out was what will your final ranking be at this camp? And we gave them 1 to 25, 26 to 50, dah, 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 all the way up to 106. And 75 of the 106 put that they would finish in the top one through 25. So that tells uh, a very clear story to me is that people think uh, that they're better than their peers. And that's the confidence you need. But us as supervisors, it puts us in a difficult situation. That means I'm gonna tell at least 50 people that they finished 26 or below that thought they should have been in the top 25. And again, I go back to the subjectivity conversation. That's what makes our job difficult. That guy may as well, might be in the top 25, according to another supervisor. But for me, he was number seventy. What's important to me might not be as important to a referee or to a supervisor down in North Carolina or over in South Dakota. So that's what makes our job tough is the subjectivity piece. So... That's my advice. It was long. It was drawn out. But there's
1: a lot to unpack. Well, we like that. And I really appreciate that perspective, especially because you are, you know, an observer. And a lot of um, the audience has been going to camps this summer. So it's great to hear that perspective. Episode 50 of the Crown Rouse Podcast is brought to you by Neat Tucks. The best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. We as basketball officials have enough to think about during the game. If you're looking for that clean, professional-looking uniform shirt, that NBA, WNBA, Olympic, D1 look, go to NeatTux.com and order yours today. Neat Tux and Crown Refs, serving the game. Let's talk about what you're doing off the court. RefQuest is an amazing platform that you've built. I, I was able to play around with some of its features like the incredible play catalog and all the discussions surrounding each play. I really enjoyed like navigating through the site and and seeing all the capabilities. It's truly an innovative space for referees. So for those who are unfamiliar with RefQuest, could you just talk about exactly what it is and how it can help the basketball official of any level?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's worth mentioning uh, when we created the site, uh, there was one thing I knew for sure is that the site, had to be easy to use. Uh, We needed high quality content and video and ensure that there was a smooth flow for every one of our users. Um, RefQuest is a collaborative clip sharing platform primarily for high school and small college officials. And just in the first year alone, uh, we've had over 4,000 clips uh, uploaded to the RefQuest website. So in short, supervisors and officials upload individual clips from games they officiated and receive uh, commenting from the RefQuest community. So the RefQuest community is made up of uh, officials primarily and um, certainly supervisors, and then we even bring in guest commenters. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about the guest commenters piece. it, it it's easily one of the most popular features on the site. Uh, this past year alone, we had a lot of big names in the officiating world uh, commenting on high school and small college clips. Uh, guys like uh, NBA official Tyler Ford, J.D. Collins, who, of course, is the national coordinator, uh, Jamie Lucky, big-time official, primarily out of the ACC, James Breeding, Paul Sells, Courtney Green, Burt Smith. Um, just a, a wide range of guys with different talents, different opinions, different approaches. And, uh, those, those people, those guest commenters enjoyed the ease of engagement to make the officials better that RefQuest provided. So, uh, what's been most rewarding is that high school and the small college officials get access to these big time officials and personalities that they normally wouldn't have access to. So RefQuest allows that, um. But when we're talking about what RefQuest is and what it does, in addition to what i told you, uh, it's simple. You upload a clip. You can tag each clip with the play type. And you also tag it with the conference or conferences in which the game occurred. So, obviously, if we're in January and we've got two teams playing each other, more likely than not, it's a conference game. You would just put the one conference in. But if it's a non-conference situation, you would put both conferences uh uh, as a part of the tag um so this is important uh so in the future your motive may be i want to see 50 flagger fouls or i want to see a number of plays in a particular league or conference and uh, this type of sorting has proved to be very popular um the site also features a leaderboard to recognize the most engaged officials It rewards officials with points for uploading a video, commenting on videos, and also when people comment on your clips. Uh, The leader at the end of each month receives some sort of RefQuest swag. That's one thing we know is referees love swag. And uh, typically we do uh, for these uh, leaderboard gifts, we do a Travis Matthew backpack with the RefQuest logo. And that's far and away the most popular gift we give away. So... Uh, simply put, officials want access to their supervisor's opinions and supervisors want to give those opinions to the officials. Um, and then officials want to share clips with their fellow officials and get their thoughts, their most trusted people in the referee circle. And Ref RefQuest checks all three of those boxes. So easily put, the foundation of RefQuest is collaboration and that's what we provide. I originally created RefQuest as a way for small college supervisors to share video on other officials. Um I thought that there was not enough collaboration between supervisors uh to determine who can officiate and who can't. And um I thought it could save officials money as it related to if I identified somebody on video um that lived in the my footprint in my small college footprint that I wasn't aware of. If I could view him uh, uh, work on film, then I could make re- recommendations to other people, other supervisors, and they can make recommendations to me. So when I started doing do the investigating on what something like this would cost, it, it became unrealistic through the course of doing that, I talked to a lot of people and they picked it apart to the point where they highlighted the things they loved about my idea. And it was not called RefQuest at this time. It was just an idea on how to get in a clip sharing, um, how to create a clip sharing platform that would benefit the supervisors. And it culminated with, Uh, getting the officials involved. So what happened next is once we got everything down that we loved about the site is we said, okay, it must contain this, this, and this. It cannot contain this, this, and this. So I started with a pen and a piece of paper. And the biggest thing that we identified was a triangle. The referees needed to have collaboration with other officials. The officials needed to be able to collaborate with their supervisors, and the supervisors needed to collaborate with their officials. We had to set something up that would make sense for all parties involved, because if supervisors weren't involved, uh, then officials wouldn't take the time to do it, because supervisors want access to their officials and vice versa. Well, what was born out of those two ideas was, well, let's let the referees talk to each other. And that's how we came up with the commenting feature. Um, So when RefQuest was built, it was built with the idea that it was going to be open and it was going to be transparent. And that's the way it exists today. And we've got, we had over 600 officials uh, join in the first three months uh, of our platform and there's over 4000 videos that live on refquest and what's great to see is um, the plays by type category has turned into the most popular feature you think back to last year when they when the ncaa added the hook and hold feature we had a ton of division 1 officials that were saying bo we're we're catching wind you've got 24 videos of hook and holds well, at that time, you know the n c a a uh they didn't really ha- start having their meetings till late September early October, and WrathQuest was born in august so we had a lot of these clips that people wanted to see to uh understand what j d had put out in the summer about the hook and hold plot so it uh, we were fortunate that we were able to to get the word out uh just because people were searching for specific categories. Well, that was an integral part of what RefQuest was, was searching the plays by type feature. So with the 4,000 clips, you can't upload a play unless you categorize it. So a block charge play, it's also a last-second shot play. It's um, also a drive-to-the-basket play, and it's also an illegal screen play. So we get one play... Uploaded into six different categories, and it just really started painting the picture as it relates to consistency. So we were seeing, for example, in the flagrant foul category, we have over 250 plays under flagrant fouls. If you watch multiple plays, you will see how inconsistent the flagrant fouls being applied. So we, in turn, took those flagrant fouls. We make that a part. Of some of the teaching we do from a video standpoint, and then we tie in the rules associated with flagrant fouls, and it's it's a check for those guys, too. All right, guys, what do we need to have a flagrant one foul? Because you have to have a checklist when you're dealing with flagrant fouls. We know it has to be excessive. We know it has to be unnecessary, and then if we want to go to a flagrant two, we've got to get to the point where it's uh, severe and extreme. So we started going through all these clips that are housed under the Plays by Type. And we started going through the checklist. And magically, we started getting into this foundation of consistency that had really never been discussed in that forum before. So we felt really good about where we were going. So this past summer, we decided – well, I say this past summer – this past spring. So about May, we got feedback from a ton of our members. What do you love about the site? What do you dislike? What would you like to see improved? And overwhelmingly we were told that they didn't love the hundred percent transparency piece. Some officials felt like I didn't, I couldn't be as honest as I wanted to be because I didn't know this guy or because I did know this guy. So we got in a situation where we said, okay, this is something that a lot of our customers uh, have told us they want to see changed. And given the transparency of the site, we could never dive into division one officials being a part of the platform because we ran into copywriting and licensing issues associated um, with division one conferences. So what we did is we created something called RefQuest Plus, or as internally we call 2.0. So we're keeping the existing RefQuest platform, but we're also developing RefQuest Plus that is completely private. In other words, you can't join RefQuest Plus unless your supervisor or your consortium head invites you to the site. Um, As it stands right now, Paul, you and your buddies can join the regular RefQuest platform today and uh, upload plays, get feedback, make comments, collaborate that way, but it's all transparent. We're offering the second product to be completely private. One of the other things we wanted to address was the cost associated with RefQuest. So let me dive into exactly what RefQuest Plus is. So, what Request Plus is, if you take the Big Ten Conference and you take the Mid American and the Summit and the Horizon, the America East and the Metro Atlantic, those six leagues make up what's called the COC, the Collegiate Officiating Conference. Those six leagues make up a consortium. And when we took this idea to them, we told them the following things. Our officials want access to you guys as the supervisor, being Rick Boyajis, Mike Kitts, Mike Sanzier, and Jim Haney. Our officials want access to you. You guys need access to the officials. And the message had been clear from supervisors that email had become archaic, uh, difficult to communicate. Uh, if there were multiple officials, do officials reply all? Oh, do they just reply to the supervisor? Do they indict their fellow official? It just became really, it just felt like there was a better way. So what RefQuest Plus allows them to do, those supervisors, is to communicate with all, give or take, 150 officials in the consortium, the COC consortium. So we go back to that triangle we discussed earlier. The supervisors communicate with the officials, the officials communicate with each other, and the officials have access to the supervisor. So let's let's do a hypothetical with this, Paul. So let's say I'm an official in the COC, which I am. I wanna create a group with four of my buddies. I can custom create a group that is just for my closest friends. We all have groups and people that we wanna communicate with. So I create a group with Terry, Paul, Uh, Mike and Sean I create a group I call it whatever I want I can share video clips with those four and only those four can see it it's not visible to the other 146 officials that are on that consortium roster
1: I understand so similar to like a group chat
0: it's very similar to a group chat but it's tight and it's secure and um, you don't have to deal with everything associated to, you know, a Facebook group that, uh, it, it, it's, you you have access to this, uh, whenever you want and you access it when you want without anything, any outside, uh, input associated with it. So you take that same approach and you get Mike kits that might get a play sent to him from a coach. He can send that play to just the official involved, or all three officials, the whole crew. Or it might be the kind of play where he says, you know what, I want my entire staff in the Horizon League to see this. So he can customize who it goes to, and it's only visible to the people it goes to. And he can turn commenting on and off. He might say, guys, great job on this play. Everybody was in the appropriate position. It was adjudicated correctly, well done, and he can turn commenting off so there's no responses coming back to him. Or he can say, guys, this play was not handled correctly. I would like for each of you to take me through this play. And he can turn commenting on, and then all three officials or one official or a whole staff can respond uh, with, with the requested commentary. So we do that. Uh, nonstop with individual clips, you make the call plays and training videos. It's got that capability uh, for the supervisors and the officials on the site.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful because, um, you know, we as officials, we need to evolve with technology and by, um, you know, implementing this into your platform that definitely allows us to do so.
0: Yeah, there's no question. I, and I think there's a lot of Uh, different types of options and formats and platforms out there our goal was to, to take the feedback that we got from officials and just optimize it and make it nice and tight and clean and secure and I think up to this point we've achieved that.
1: You know one of the messages I love on your site is the community guidelines and the fact that there's a certain expectation when you upload a play or comment on someone's el- someone else's play. We're all professionals trying to improve and there's no time for like negative comments or behavior. Could you just talk about like the positive culture that you've established within the site?
0: Yes, that's something we spent a lot of time on. And um, some people think that getting ahead in this business is, you know, chopping the ladder out from your fellow official, and uh, I can assure you that that's not the way to get there, and um, if that's the type of official you are, it will uh, just set bells off, there's no question. Well, the community guidelines, we wanted to, to set a precedent in terms of, here is the spirit and the intent of this website, Anybody that strays from that, we're just, we're just, we're not going to have it. We're going to remove the clips, we're going to remove the comments, and we'll remove you. So don't post videos that you took with your cell phone, okay, with your shaky hands. We can't do that, all right? We want high quality video. We've achieved that. We had people post videos, very few, and it surprised me that it was so low, very few videos that, embarrassed to some level, a fellow official. And so what we did is we created a report feature on the site with two clicks of a button. They could ask to have a clip removed. And we, every time we got that video uh, request, we, we, uh, we removed that, that clip. Um, The commenting was professional from start to finish. And what, a lot of the comments revealed is that a lot of the guys didn't know the rules. A lot of the people that were making comments on plays. So, what we ran into was comments on other people's comments. And the spirit and intent, and it's in the community guidelines, is to comment on the video. Don't comment on comments. Well, it got to be unavoidable because people were making references of how plays should have been adjudicated and it was inaccurate. It was wrong. So we would get people that would report uh, on comments and we would remove comments that were factually inaccurate. Um, not We didn't remove comments that were uh, an opinion we disagreed with, but we, we tried to keep the content, um, as as close to accurate as possible. And we're not talking about, you know, Hey, that's a block. No, I think it's a charge. Okay. We're going to remove this. We just became such a resource for people that we just wanted to make sure the information was correct. So the, the community guidelines became something for us uh, uh, of almost uh, a Bible of like, okay, you can upload it, but you got to be careful what you're doing here. And we're we're pretty proud of that aspect of it.
1: So, how long from the time that you got the idea in your head to now? How long did it take to build to this point?
0: Well, we we talked earlier that the idea originally was. Uh, To create a clip sharing program among supervisors and it was very clear very early that we had to get the officials involved. So the timing of that. uh, From the idea to the launch uh, was give or take right about a two year process. Um, And when it came time to develop the site. I had to ask around, you know, how do I develop this. And I asked a lot of people that in the tech world, and to a man, their answers were simple. You want to do it cheap, or you want to do it right? Hmm. And I said, well, I want to do it right. And they said, okay, this is, where, this is what you're looking at. And now, at that moment, I knew why nobody else had created this type of site. Um, there's a ton of technology out there. There's a ton of different platforms, but we'd like to think we were on the front end of the the collaboration platform. And it is a very big barrier. But I believed in the idea so much um, that it took a lot of convincing my wife, first and foremost. Um, But I believe in it so much that You know, I've been in the banquet business for the greater part of my professional career going on 15 years, and I have relieved myself of those duties, and I'm going all in on this. That's how much I believed in it, and um, we have caught some traction associated uh, with uh, the existing idea, the new idea, but everything is foundationally collaboration, communication, and it was about a two-year process to, to gather all the information and pull the trigger uh, from the idea to the launch. And uh, we haven't
1: looked back since. I was going to ask um, if you had a tech background. You said you were in the banquet uh, industry? Yes, by trade.
0: Uh, I'm in the event management business. So everything associated with – you know, corporate events to bar and bat mitzvahs uh, to celebration of life to um, weddings and anything you got a credit for, a credit card, uh, anything you need, to, to, any type of event you need to host. Um, as long as you got a credit card, we had you. So, but again, it kind of spoke to the communication piece. Um, it was just about establishing relationships and getting to know people, and I was pretty good at that or at least I thought I was. And um, so the technology part of it uh, was a little out of my comfort zone. So I just uh, started having conversations with the right people and, um, you know, ended up getting involved with a design and development company that has just been an integral part of our
1: team. So you were able to build a network of officials that subscribe to your platform. How has that affected your career as a division one official?
0: Well, I've always that's – a, that's a really good question. I, I have uh, always loved being a supervisor because it made me get my nose in the rule book about a month before my season started as a Division One official because the league I assign is an NAIA, and we start real games in mid to late October. Well, as you know, the Division One season doesn't start until the second week of November. So I was able to get a bit of a head start every year with the rules and kind of became the guy that you know, the people that I ran around with, you know, looked at me as a guy that knew the rules. And I have a couple, three people that I turn to as well for that. So what RefQuest has done is it's made officiating uh, have more of a year-round approach. So I'm, in, I'm embedded in it for, uh, more with an uh, infinity standpoint. Than a one month ahead of the season standpoint. Um, so, just the the uh, understanding the spirit and intent um, of the rules, uh, and how they differentiate from calling the rules as written. What is the letter of the law? Um, you know, combining art and science. It is just it's allowed me to see thousands upon thousands of clips that I never would have seen. Uh, were it not for RefQuest, um, so it's it's just made it more of a year-round approach as opposed to a seasonal approach.
1: And I take it that um, other officials and coordinators are very fond of the idea. How has the NCA responded?
0: Well, it's been great.
1: Um, we have gotten a, a large following
0: um, in the small college world. Um, there's a lot of leagues that. Um, have signed on board for the new product because they want more streamlined, uh, more consistent access to their officials. And there's, there's nothing uh, about the idea that they dislike. So then our, our goal was to figure out, okay, we know people are going to like the idea because they, these, these same group of people have told us what this site needs. Now, how do we make it affordable? So with the new private portal, we think we've solved that problem because instead of the burden being somewhere between $150 and $200 that the current request platform is, we've set it up to where it's $25 an official for access to this private portal for each consortium that you work in. So for a guy that works for Bill Eck, for example, Bill Eck assigns 11 leagues. And instead of creating 11 different conferences, we've created him a RevQuest consortium on our private portal site, RevQuest Plus. And each official, instead of paying a $200 fee, just pays a $25 fee. But it covers all 11 of those leagues. So if you get a supervisor that has three leagues and they sign on board, it it costs you $25, and that's all you pay to have access to that consortium. So we got in a situation where we were over 600 members and we had at least another 1500 officials uh, that logged on to the, uh, that got to our homepage, started the sign up process and stopped. And one, from a feedback standpoint, one of the main reasons they stopped is because of the financial aspect. They couldn't afford it. And that didn't set well with me. So we had to figure out a way how do we get these 1800 other 1800 officials on board? because they need access to these plays and just because they're not in the same financial situation as the guy that can't afford it, that wasn't a good enough reason not to let them on the platform. So one of the benefits of the plus um, approach was we know for the most part that people could afford $25. We also knew that a lot of people couldn't afford 200. So um, we still had to get in a situation where it made sense for us, but I was not gonna move forward without it making sense for the masses, for the officials. And uh, we
1: think we found that middle ground. Sounds like you're making some terrific updates and continuing to push the platform forward. What tips could you give the audience how to improve their clock management? Clock
0: management. Well, the the, the tagline that, that, that I use uh, and we use in our league and uh, amongst the officials is clock aware. you got to be clock aware. And um, that is something, fortunately, uh, that can be taught. A lot of times judgment um, w- w- I refer to a lot of things as the get it factor from a judgment standpoint, you either get it or you don't, you can improve it. Um, But with, with uh, being clock aware, that is something that can set you apart uh, from your fellow official. We talked earlier about how difficult it was to differentiate referee one from referee two and being clock aware um, is one of the ways you can do that. So I try and get in a situation where every dead ball, and then I have beacons on the court. One of the beacons for me is half court. Every time I'm at half court, whether I'm running or jogging, I always try and sneak a peek at the clock. And then when I get to my setup position, another beacon for me is whether I'm in the trail leader slot, I sneak a peek. So I log whatever the clock is. Uh, for the first time I sneak a peek and then I log it again when I get to my second beacon and um, it's tied into the whole play recollection piece where I have a sense that when I snuck a peek across half court and I was at 19 and when I got to my next beacon I had a sense that it took me two to three seconds and if that thing was still at 19 or that thing was back to 35 I knew something was wrong or I guess you know Started last year was at 30. I wasn't very clock aware right there since the shot clock goes to 30 and not 35. But um, but that is something that's created uh, just with uh, habitually. And um, it takes many games to figure that piece of it out. And I've been involved in some crazy, goofy clock plays. For the most part, we've gotten them all right. Uh, clocks are rarely subjective. Um, but I can tell you that um, it goes – when you're dealing with the monitor, you have to have a heightened sense of when you need to be quick and get in and out, and you have to have a heightened sense of when you can stay and take one, two, three, four, uh, in some cases ten minutes to figure it out if a game's on on the line. So uh, being clock aware is very important. You have to uh, create habits, and it, it has to be um, every trip up and down the floor, through verbal and nonverbal communications with whether it's pointing at shot clocks, talking during dead ball, uh, dead balls, waiting on inbounds during timeouts, really just going through. Okay, this this could happen. This is what I think they're going to try to do. Make sure we get point three to come off. Let's understand and realize that we've got a two-second differential on the game clock and shot clock and having all of those conversations in a very short amount of time and then execute it once the ball is put in in bounds. And also having the uh, testicular fortitude to stop a play and get a clock correct so the game can quote-unquote end right. We want games to end right. And uh, being
1: clock aware, uh, you know, will help ensure that's the case. Well, thank you for that. That was some outstanding information. I liked how you were talking about, you know, beacons. And every time you run up the court at at half court, you're checking. And then back on the baseline when you get set up, it's definitely something that we all can implement in our game right away.
0: Absolutely. And
1: everybody has different things that they do. And that's what I do. And there's more than one way to skin a cat in this business. So, Bo, this is a bit of a landmark episode for Crown Refs. This is uh, episode number 50. I've only been doing it a short time, but I feel like it's come a long way since when I first pressed record and just started talking hoops to now having an opportunity to feature and collab with an official like yourself. So I really appreciate you being a part of Crown Refs. Well, and thank you. You know, you've spent a decent amount of time complimenting me
0: and with RefQuest and with some of the things I've done in officiating. But uh, with your following, uh, it's pretty unmatched. You've done, you've done a great job and, um, just, just keep it going. And that's the one thing I tell about officials, man. We're all we got. If, if, if you think, uh, if you think you're getting in this business to, cause it's a popularity contest, you, you've been lied to. And, um, we're all we got and, uh, we're, we're glad to have you, uh, as a fellow official, uh, fighting a good fight with us and for us. So I appreciate that. The content is the most impressive. Listen, dude, you need to be doing this stuff full time, bro.
1: Thanks for listening. Please go share this with a fellow official. Make sure you subscribe and it would also mean the world to me if you left a review on Apple Podcast. Have a great day.